Could we can I'm just trying to pick up where we were just a moment ago about our powerful God, um, the power of God, and um, how amazing that is. I mean, if you don't. Yes, do, Malcolm, yes. This is from 1 John 5. Can you speak up? So. 1 John 5, uh, just a section of it. This is the love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands... Some people don't really um, realise they're actually battling through this world. Uh, the, the, the world, this earth we live on, is, is a powerful force because um, it's giving out stuff which is not truth but which many follow. For example, if it feels right, do it. It ties in what Malcolm was saying, if it feels right, do it. Whereas in actual fact, Jesus came to give us truth, or to show us the truth, which was actually in the Bible, in what we call the scriptures. And um, sometimes there's a conflict between what the Bible says and doing stuff which, if it feels good, do it, which is not right. And um, that needs power. It actually needs a change of life. It needs something to be born within us, which actually comes against that. The first thing that I have to say is we cannot do that ourselves. Because that's why Jesus came, not only to show us the way, but to give us his Holy Spirit, who then helps us to go through this life knowing what it is, uh, knowing what it is to see changes uh, and to fight against this world. But I just want us to see that just coming into this world as, as a person and living in it, we're actually in a battleground. We're in conflict with what God, who God is and what he wants and the way that we live our lives is against the Almighty. So the whole point of us coming together this morning here is, is to actually ask ourselves the question, what, what does God actually want? Who is he? Is God one like the Bible says? Because out there, there are many faiths. And I mean, part of what I'm going to look at just in a little bit later, <clears throat> part of what's going on in our world is actually the joining of faiths. In politics, cultures are joined together. In the religious world, religions are joined together. But Christianity, and I say this on authority of scriptures, is a standalone thing. It's not a religion. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we can't go down the road of comparing one against the other. Many people, I want to know what's right. You know, the Bible is an amazing book. I love it. Like I said, when I wake up, there's just truth flows through my head and you know something's right with you and God. It gives you that peace. It gives you confirmation of who you are in God's plan. And God has a plan. And the power that we want is found in Jesus Christ. It cannot be found anywhere else. It's only found, That's why we meet here this morning. We, ha- we don't have an altar. We don't have dead people buried under the foundations. Well, I don't think we do anyway. <laughs> we could arrange a few this morning. We could arrange it this morning. We don't... <laughs> Anybody who's willing put their hand up. <laughs> I'd have to see the headmaster first. Though. Um, 
And uh, we don't have, why don't we have these things? Because it's part, it's part of the system whereby Christianity came, but when Jesus came, it had no more value, no more purpose to it. The altar's finished because Jesus is the sacrifice. Okay? We don't remember dead people because Christians are not dead. Although their body is in the ground, they are alive with Christ in heaven. This is the power that we know. And that power is also in me for the future. Is that power in I just don't know. I, I, there's more to going out this world in a box or a basket or in a can. <laughs> Take your pick. Like uh, Barry said this morning, there's more. When you come up against a brick wall in God's plan, there's more. There's more. Praise God for Jesus. Acts 16. <coughs> oh, Father, just help us this morning. We're dealing with amazing truth can set the world free. If only, Father, Father. I'm just going to read from verse 22 of Acts 16 because um, you need to connect into where Barry was last week. The crowd joined in attacking them, this is Paul and Silas, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. That is a very cruel form of punishment. And these are two Christian men, two believing men. I don't like calling them Christians because it's become just a byword, really. It hasn't become a separate word in a sense, you know. They were called Christians in the first place, but Christians doesn't always sum up what God, how God sees us, really. Saved, born again, transformed, new creation. There are other words that the Bible uses. Uh, not only that, so much greater than, than, than Christians. Okay? But these are two men. And they're actually telling people, they're telling, those, telling about Jesus in those early days. And because they were telling people about Jesus and what he's done, they were taken and beaten with rods. And that's an awful form of punishment. Verse 23, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. That was because if they'd had heard of Peter's escape from prison, and because of that, they were charged, commanded, to keep these men safe. And so they fastened their feet in stocks. Now, it's interesting, just to, just to, this is just an interesting note, that their feet only were in the stocks, but the stocks had five holes in them. Two for their feet, two for their hands, and one for their head. And you can imagine how awful that was. But by God's grace, or somehow, they only had their feet in the stocks. And they would have had been on their backs, and so those wounds that they'd been inflicted in their backs, they'd had to lay on those in the smelly, damp dungeon. An awful thing to happen. 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. There's one thing going on here, and it's not praying and singing hymns. It's actually an act of worship. The Greek translation puts it this way. They were praying by singing hymns. And what were they singing? We don't know what they were singing, but this is how, how it's it sort of translated that the feel of the passage goes like that. 
it was an act of prayer, was one of worship, not worry or complaint, but it was one of love and adoration to Christ as God. It was one of love and adoration to Christ as God. One of the main underlying truths about Christianity, if you like, is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the only Son of God, the one and only Son of God. And they were actually exalting the name of Jesus. They were putting his name above their situation. This was the reaction that was birthed in them. That's what was happened. In a moment, we're going to see the earthquake. And um, the earthquakes were quite normal in those days. It was a normal occurrence for earthquakes to happen in that region. And one would immediately think, oh, well, and God is in this story, even if the earthquake happened at this time, because God puts his hand up to earthquakes, even though it causes many lives to be lost. Now, don't ask me to answer that question for you this morning, because I can't. We say God is a God of love, God is a God of love, but he is also a God of justice and judgment, and he rules this world. And the many, many other reasons why earthquakes come. God puts his hand up because it was God who flooded the earth in the first place. And I believe, and if we understand the Christian scientists, that um, earthquakes are, are just a fallout from the flood. But there was an earlier earthquake in Genesis on day three, when God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible records 17 earthquakes, possibly one or two more, but in each of those, God is doing something. And it could be one of these three things, judgment, deliverance, and communication. Judgment, deliverance, and communication. Many, many people have been, their lives have been changed by earthquakes. And in a moment, we're just going to see how one man's life was changed because of an earthquake. But in this story, it's not the earthquake, it's the miracle. The miracle is the reaction of Paul and Silas. That how in that awful situation, they could respond in such a way as to transform the lives of other people around them. That was the miracle. That was the gift of God's Holy Spirit. So we're talking about power this morning. You say, I could never do that. Well, maybe you couldn't. Maybe I couldn't. But what he's saying, whatever life throws at us, whatever situation is to hand, whatever comes our way, the true believer in Jesus Christ has something in his pocket. And it's the power of Almighty God through the power of the Holy Spirit living within them. It can conquer many things. So this morning, we're just looking. We're just seeing, that, like Mary has said, there's, an almighty, there's a power that I can't explain that God wants to give to each one of us this morning. And it's through the power of his Holy Spirit. And it's the outworking of this salvation we're talking about. It's a power. What is it we read in one of the epistles? He has translated us from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son. What's what it is to be a believer, to be a born-again Christian, to be someone who's saved, if you like, they are taken from one situation by the power of God and they are actually put into another situation. It's not just being a Christian. Lots of people can believe in Jesus and say, I'm a Christian because I live in England and because that's the, re that's the religion here. That's, that's, so I'll just accept that. But to be a Christian, you have to opt in. We're not in. 
we have to opt in. And that's the message of this story, really, that was given to the jailer. And actually, in fact, he saw it, he wanted it so much. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. I think the miracle here is that no one got hurt physically. Well, we don't read of it anyway. But all their bonds were loosed. You know, and it's just amazing what God can do when we let him into our lives through Jesus Christ. Amazing. It's sort of... There's not a conflict. There's not a dichotomy, but there's a wonderful blending together of what God can do if we face an awful situation and what he can do in that situation. He doesn't bring us out of it, but he takes us through it. He, gives, he helps us to understand what he's doing and not what I want him to do. He helps us to understand. Verse 27, When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But at that time and that culture, especially for a Roman Citizen, if you like, or civil servant, high up in ranks or medium ranks upwards, army or that. It was a heroic thing to commit suicide. He'd rather take his own life than let, take some, let someone else take it. So that's why they did it. And there was a sense that this was catching on as the thing to do if you got in trouble. Don't let them take that. You take your own life. So Paul stepped in here. He said, don't harm yourself. Do you see God like that? One who, I think there's a lot of thinking out there. If I become a Christian, he's, he's going to take stuff away from me. He, he, wants, he wants me to be miserable. He wants me to go to church. No, it's not like that at all. Actually, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, you'd be amazed what can happen. I tell you what, you only look at Derek and see how he can become a comedian in one foul swoop. <laughs> I mean, it's great, isn't it? I mean, um, he used to work in the post office. Now God's given him a new job. But uh, it's amazing, isn't it? The changes which God can give us. We love laughter. Christians love laughter. They, lo they love and, and they love good humour. And it's all part of what God does. He amazing changes in our life that he can bring about. But this was a heroic act, and um, he'd rather go down in society as a hero than a failure. Oh, there's something in that. There's something we all want, isn't there? We'd all rather see ourselves in a greater situation than what we might be. You know, we, sometimes we want to be elevated. That's all part of our psyche sometimes. But that's how he'd rather, that's how it was seen then that, he, that would happen to him. So that's why he was about to take his life. So Paul said, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And that's an amazing thing too, isn't it? Paul and Silas and the other prisoners too had been listening. And, and, and the understanding there is that it was like listening to a concert. They weren't, you know, they weren't saying, oh, shut up, we've heard enough of you. They were eager. The, Bible, the Greek is they were eagerly listening to Paul and Silas exalting the name of Jesus Christ. What amazing situation God produced here, you know, so that one man 
at least. One man came into the family of God. It's not the first time it happened. The Holy Spirit of God coordinates situations so that at least one person can come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And I usually put it like this. If you go, go back in the Acts, there's a story of the Ethiopian eunuch. He, he had the treasury of Queen Candace. He's like the Chancellor of the Exchequer, and there he was in the desert sitting, and he was reading part of the Old Testament of the Bible. And he was reading about Jesus. Uh, but we read in that story that um, the angel said to Philip, leave what you're doing and go over there. Philip. And when Philip went out into the desert and he saw this man sitting in the chariot, we read that then the Holy Spirit said to him, go near to that chariot. And he did. So you have God through the Holy Spirit coordinating a situation where one man can come to know Jesus Christ as Saviour. Do you know if you know Jesus Christ as Saviour, God's been working in our lives to bring you to know Jesus. A person from here, a person from there, He's moving heaven and earth to get you in. I mean, the best thing he's done is when Jesus died for us on the cross. That's the main thing that he did in order that we might know life and to know life abundantly, as the Bible puts it. You know, it's amazing how God's coordinating in this earth to get people for his glory, to bring them one in and one there. If we know Jesus Christ as Saviour, God's been working hard on your behalf. You may not have seen it, I may not have seen it, but he did. He really did. And that's an amazing part of this story. And here is the best thing. Verse 29, And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, 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 <laughs> you just cast us into prison. Sirs, what does the word mean? The word trans means lords, lords and masters. So now the jailer who thrown them into prison considers them to have stepped up a, a notch, and now he calls them Sirs, lords. What Paul actually said was here, <laughs> you know, the word Lord's masters, and what Paul says, no, there's only one Lord and master, Jesus Christ. That was the sort of context of what he's just said. I'll read what it says in the Bible. Then he brought them and said, what must I do to save? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can save. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can save. He'd asked the question, and that's the, most, that's the greatest and most important question a person can ever ask in their life. Not how much is my pension going to be at the end of when I retire. Not how many children am I going to have. What's the best job I could ever have. Or what can I do to be noted in this life. The greatest and most important question a person could ever ask is, what must I do? To be saved. I was speaking to a Christian the other day and they said, oh, well, we don't like to use that word now. This isn't a church situation. I didn't say anything. I thought, David, keep your mouth shut. But the whole idea of Jesus coming was to rescue us from who we are, 
and where we are and where we're going. What, and it's the question we need to ask. If you've never asked that question, it's the most important thing that you could ever do in your life. What must I do to be saved? Well, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who alone can save. He's the Lord. He's the friend. He's the master. Don't look to us. He's the one. And that's what we love to do, is to point to Jesus. That's why I'm here this morning. I just want to point to Jesus and say how great he is and what he can do. Because really, I suppose if I pull one thing out of this story, it's the way of salvation. I've seen many tracts and leaflets given out. I've given them out myself. It's just called the way of salvation. The way a person can get right with God. And do it now. The way the person can get right and do it now. Verse 32. Here's the greatest opportunity that a person could have. The greatest question, the greatest opportunity. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Wow, what an amazing opportunity. So Paul and Silas, they'd gone through all this. And yet they were given the opportunity to speak the word of the Lord to the household. And my time's rushing on, and I've nowhere near gone what I prepared this morning. But I wanted to say where I was going. Paul said to the jailer, he said, you will be saved and all your household when a person gets saved, becomes a Christian, born again, becomes a new creation, God has more in mind. He has other people beyond you that he wants to reach. And that was almost a prophetic edge that Paul gave to the jailer. Now in his household, it doesn't tell us he had a wife, but one would assume there was a wife and children, and there were servants. A typical household of that um, style, that culture, would be, be a lot of immoral sexual activity would go on in their household. The jailer would have relations with the servants, male and female, because it was culturally a good thing to do, or acceptable, if you like. So there's more here behind the scenes of what we see. And so there's work to do in that household, so that they might, in coming to know Jesus Christ as Saviour. But it was just this. I just want us to pray for people who have relatives who don't know Jesus Christ and your heart's burning for them. And especially children. I saw this quote, it came into me as I was preparing. Your difficult child may be a child of destiny. That's why he or she encounters more difficulties than your other children. He has an assignment the enemy has discerned. Someone may be living with a difficult relative this morning, or your heart may be really wanting a relative to come to know Jesus Christ. As I said, I'm nowhere near what I prepared because I've gone off from where we are in worship. So, but I, I did feel this, that God wanted us to pray this morning. 
If you have a relative on your heart and your mind, that may be quite a few of you, and I just wanted to give time for that, and especially if you have a difficult child that you wanted to pray for, that we as elders... Now, I want you to... As elders, we very often talk and pray about the relatives beyond you if they're not believers yet, not Christians. We very often do that because our concern is that God has saved one member of the family. The first priority is to pray, like a husband or a wife, is to pray for the husband or the wife if they do not yet know Jesus. We just wanted, I just felt that we just needed to support you in that and pray for any difficult children that you might want us to pray for. And if you feel that you just wanted to accept our commitment to you, our partnership with you, which was one of the things I was going to talk about in this morning, Paul and Silas. Silas, who's got us into this mess then, Paul? You know, if I, we were going to be in jail, I wouldn't have come along. But he was a partner right the way through. Partnership in the gospel is an amazing thing. The Bible talks about it freely. In fact, if you look in Philippians, the book that was birthed out of this evangelical mission, if you like, Paul said, I thank God and pray every day for your partnership in the gospel. And that's what it's all about. And I just want to challenge you too, your partnership with the church. So many months ago, we had a, a tray of stones. And I still have that tray of stones at my front path. And many people in this church took a stone as saying they were part, in partnership with Beacon Church for where we were going and whatever may come our way. Someone's fingerprints are on this, who held that stone. I don't know who that was. You might. That's the partnership. We have a prayer meeting tonight. Prayer and vision. Church membership is called to partnership. Partnership with the gospel and partnership with the church. And it's an amazing biblical principle. Are we in or are we out? So could you stand? If you feel... Um, I don't know whether we just have a...